Amen. You may be seated. And if you have a Bible with you, you can find your way to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 13 through 17 in just a moment. I'm using the, what am I using this morning? The Christian Standard Bible. So if you have, a, have it on the uh, version app, you can pull that up. Or it will be on the screen behind me if you don't have any of those things. And you're trying to figure it all out. That's great. We're glad you're here. 1 Peter chapter 3. So the other day I was getting ready to take the kids to school. And I have one spot on my dresser that I always leave the wallet. Right? And I know it's there. And I know when I wake up in the morning that I grab that. And what the most valuable things, most important thing is right there. And I know exactly where it's at. Well, this particular morning as I was about ready to take the kids out to school, I walked over to that place on the, on the uh, dresser, there was no wallet to be found. And the kids are going to be late and I need a wallet, it's very important, I'm not going to be able to do anything throughout the day if I don't have my wallet with me, so I'm searching high and low, I'm calling out to my wife, have you seen my wallet anywhere? And finally, I say, I'm just going to have to go without it. And I make my way out the door and I just happen to touch the back of my pants on the way out and I realize... My wallet was in there the whole time. Sometimes we need reminders of things that we already possess. Things that are within our reach, things that we already have in our possession, but we forget that they're there. As we get back into the book of 1 Peter, maybe you haven't been with us, you didn't know that before Christmas we've been in the book of 1 Peter, we're getting back into it now. And I want to just tell you things by way of reminder or for some of you who are just joining us, what this book is all about. It's actually not a book at all, it's a letter written by the Apostle Peter who is a dear friend of our Savior Jesus Christ and an eyewitness to his resurrection. It is written to people who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire because of intense persecution under the crazy emperor Nero. He was burning Christians alive on post to light his gardens at night. He was blaming Christians for the fire that he caused in Rome. And so the Christians that were in Rome have now all scattered and are living in exile in what we know now as modern-day Turkey. And so Peter is writing to these several different churches that are all over the place through modern Turkey, and he's writing them about who they are in Christ. Because Peter knows that one of the worst things that could happen is for them that are going through intense suffering to forget who they are. That they would have some kind of identity amnesia, and so Peter writes to remind them what they already possess But because of the cares and the frustrations in the world, they may have forgotten. So he tells them this, you are a chosen people. Not based upon anything that you've done, but God chose to show his mercy towards you. He's caused you to be born again into a new birth through a living hope in Christ. Not a dead hope, but a real living one. And he has given you an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, uncorrupted and undefiled. It's yours. You already possess it. 
He has given you a salvation that angels like to lean into and wonder about how amazing it is and how incredible it is that God has shown salvation to people. The angels long to stay, stretch their necks to see how great the salvation that we've been given because we've been redeemed from an empty way of life. We are now living stones joined together, making a spiritual house, Christ church. We are a holy priesthood. That means you don't have to go to a priest anymore, that you and I, through Jesus, our high priest, have direct access to God, whom we belong to. He is our prized possession that came at a great price at the cost of his son. And he says, don't forget what you already possess. This is who you are. This is your identity. And if this is who you are, it changes how you live. Peter has already told them that you live differently. You live in holiness, set apart from sin and the world's way of thinking. The way that you love each other, especially when you disagree, is different. You have now joy in trials and purpose in trials. God is doing something in the midst of them. And now, because of all these things are true... You can submit to authority that is even against you. And it changes the way that you relate and submit to one another, all because of the identity that you have in Jesus. And so here we are in 1 Peter. Now at this time, persecution is spreading, but there isn't any physical persecution on these people just yet. It's coming. Peter would actually die as a martyr under Nero, being crucified upside down, as church history tells us. But it isn't there yet. They're still just being misunderstood. Christianity is a new thing that they, people don't understand. They're being mocked. Many of them verbally abused at their workplace. And so this is an important letter for us today. Because I believe this letter, as all the scriptures, but in a particular way, this letter speaks to the particular time to us in the United States. Have you ever been misunderstood before? Has Christianity been misunderstood there's not physical persecution going on right now, but definitely some of you have been mocked, and it can be discouraging. And so this is an important letter because I believe we find ourselves here in this letter. So would you stand with me as we read God's word together? 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. Who then will harm you if you're devoted to what is good but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ and the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give an a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. So that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Park Church, do you want to be an individual that is used by God? Amen. Do you want to be used by him? Peter is going to give us a formula of how to be used by God even when life is against you and things are hard. This is God's word. You may be seated. I want to talk to us this morning from this text about living on mission as exiles. Living on mission as exiles. And the first way that we do this is to live out hope. To live out hope. 
Peter says, who then will harm you if you're doing what is good? The response perhaps from here in this letter would be like, Peter, lots of people can harm us. Do you hear about what Nero is doing? I'm struggling at my job. Every day is a fight. But Peter is saying, sure, people may be able to harm you. They may bring you down. But ultimately, that's not where your identity is found. So ultimately, if you have Jesus, no one can harm you as you do good. And that's really what he's calling them to and us to live out in hope by living an attractive life. By living an attractive life. How do we do this? By pursuing good works. Are we saved by works? Say no, right? But are we saved to do good works? Say yes. For we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared for us to do. So one of the things as a Christian is to not be saved by doing good, but as a result of your salvation, we do good. We seek to do good wherever we are living. So Peter is saying, live an attractive life by pursuing good. Be kind. Be generous. Oh, don't you love a generous person? Be that kind of person. Be a good neighbor. Be joyful. Serve others. Bring refreshment. Live your life in such a way that is attractive. So here's a little test for you. Now, you might not know this, but everyone else does. When you walk into the room... Do people breathe a sigh of joy? Oh, I'm so excited that this person here is here. Or, yes, some of you are like, yes, absolutely, they do. Or do they breathe a sigh of discouragement and another sigh of relief when you leave? That's not living an attractive life. Are you a person that has known everything that you are against but not what you're for? You got a neighbor like that? That neighbor that sees you outside and all of a sudden you see them running over and you're like, oh no, here we go. And he tells you everything that is wrong with the world except for him, right? He's the solution to everything. You know, everything that he's for, that he's not for, you know, everything he's against, but not what he is for. So Peter goes on to unpack this just a little bit further. As he says, do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but regard Christ the Lord as holy. So first, we live out hope by pursuing good. And as we pursue good in a hostile world as, as world as exiles, we live an attractive life. People are drawn into us as we pursue good, even when life is difficult. Secondly, as we regard Christ as holy, we live on missions knowing the hope. Knowing the hope. Hope that we've seen in this book already is a confident expectation of the future. It's not a crossing of the fingers that everything is going to work out. It's a confident expectation that God is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he will do. I'm a New York Jets fan. It's a long story, don't ask, all right? And this year looked like it was our year to at least make the playoffs. We drafted well, everything was looking great, and then just last week we lost out on it again. 
for 11 consecutive years, the longest NFL streak of any team. We did not make the playoffs. And it seems like every terrible team is making the playoffs. Well, we didn't. We're the worst. (laughs) And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is it. It's going to happen this year. I don't want to win a Super Bowl. I just want to make one postseason game. I had a lot of hope. Things were looking great, but I had misplaced hope. My confidence was in the wrong place. And so when I say here, know the hope, I'm not talking about something. I'm talking about someone. So to know hope is to know Jesus. So the way that you know the hope is by being in awe of Jesus. He says, don't fear or be intimidated. This was an intimidating time. It was a fearful time. He says, exchange your fear for people, your awe of what they can do to you and what they can say and replace it with an awe or fear of Jesus and all of who he is. So if you want hope, you will draw near to the hope A person, Jesus Christ, knowing that your hope is not in what you do, but by being saved through Christ alone, that's where your hope comes from. And so if you are here this morning, like me, so often, can be held captive to what people think, to how people feel about you, their perception of you, what they might say or or what they might do. This is an opportunity for you to exchange your awe of people and give the awe to Christ and put your hope in the right place. Stop being held captive by what people think, but be in awe of Jesus in a real, intimate, personal relationship with him. Do you know that's offered to you? Not something distant, but real, very near. And I would encourage you in this new season of 2023, this new year, pursue Christ in his word like you never have before. Because being with his people here at church and being in his word is how your faith, how your hope will increase as you know Jesus more. Listen, you'll never be attractive to other people and you'll never have deep-seated hope if you only give Jesus one hour on Sunday. He is calling you to so much more than that. A deep, hope-filled life that is rooted in the hope, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to remember here the original context He's speaking, he's speaking to people in affliction who are doing good and others are attracted to it. Now, to live an attractive life, hear me on this, is not to be a bubbly, magnetic personality. And some of you are thinking, I just need to get more excited and then people will be attracted to me. No, this is how you live an attractive life that other people are drawn to. is in the midst of hardship, in the midst of pain, in the midst of the struggle, and some of you are in the thick of it right now. Others are attracted when they look in and see the hope that you have. And people start to wonder, why haven't you given up? Why aren't you despairing? So it's not always being the bubbly, magnetic person. No, God draws people in when they see you in affliction and yet have a firm hope in Christ. 
keep going. Keep pursuing Jesus. The more that you expand the hope, the more hope you will find. Living on missions as exiles in affliction, you do good. You pursue the hope that's found in Jesus, and then you share the hope. Look at verse 15. It says, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give an offense, a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Share the hope. That's what you do living on mission as an exile. St. Francis of Assisi had a great quote. He was known for his good works, and this is what he challenged people with. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Ooh, that's good, right? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. He's saying live an attractive life, isn't he? But here's the problem. You can't preach the gospel without using words. It's a message, so you can't leave this part out. People will not come to Jesus just because you're doing good. They might think you're a great person, but at some point you have to share the hope that is within you. And if you're living good before others, you're pursuing peace, Peter says people are going to ask you about this hope that's in you and you better be ready to give an answer. If you're working with kids in sports, whatever sport it is, you're always talking about the ready position, aren't you? If they're playing softball, you're saying you're ready to field. You're stepping up. If you're in the outfield, you're taking a step back. If you're playing basketball, you're ready to defend. Whatever it might be, if I didn't connect with you, I'm sure there's something in ballet or something like that too that you can connect to that. There's a ready position. Peter is saying here, have a ready position in life to share the hope that is within you. This is defense. To be able to give a defense is the word apologia in Greek. It's where we get the word apologetics. When I was in college, I had someone come up to me and say, Brad, you should go to this conference with me. It's an apologetics conference. And I remember thinking, does this guy think I need to learn how to say I'm sorry more? I don't understand. <laughs> I didn't know that apologetics mean to give an answer or to give a defense so it's where we get this word from, this theological word that means to defend your faith, to be able to give a reason for the things of God. And let me tell you, if you're exploring Christianity, there is great reason that Christianity is true. There is a great defense for God and his gospel. Explore those things. And what Peter is saying here is give, be ready in that stance to share the hope that is within you. So I would encourage you this year, read a good theology book if you aren't already. Read an apologetics book and we can help you find some good ones. And here's what you're going to find. If you dive deeper into all of who God is, you'll find that you can never exhaust God. He's always going to shock you as he takes you deeper and deeper into who he is and what he is doing. Invite someone who has questions about Christianity to explore it with you. Discuss it together. Go deeper. Because listen, there is a, a need in our Christian world, and there's many out there already, but we need more people 
that can discuss the deep truths of God's on an intellectual level. And if God has wired you in that way to reach a certain people that think a certain way, pursue it. Pursue apologetics to understand more deeply what you believe and how you can defend it. But Peter qualifies it. He tells you how you're supposed to do this. He says, but do so with gentleness and respect. That's important, isn't it? I mean, how silly is it to share the greatest news in the world in an offensive way? The gospel already is offensive. You don't have to be offensive. It tells you that you're living wrong and you need to turn and do what's right. But you, as the one that's sharing it, do not have to be a jerk. In fact, you need to be gentle. And remember that the goal is not to win an argument or to win someone to your position, but to win them to a person. Jesus Christ, who offers salvation freely to all by grace through faith alone. And you want this person to experience the same hope and joy that you have. So know what you believe and be able to share it when others come along and ask you based upon how you are living. But remember this context here. Those of you who know Peter, educated guy or not educated? Thumbs up for educated, thumbs down for non-educated. He's not an educated guy. He's a fisherman. But one time, Peter was brought before the same council that charged Jesus before his crucifixion. And he had an opportunity to share before these well-educated men about Jesus. And this is what is said that Peter's response they ask him about what, they, what he believes, and he says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Amen? And when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized what? They were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and recognized they had been with Jesus. Do people say that about you? Are they amazed and recognize that you've been with Jesus? What is the answer that Peter is talking? He's not talking to deep theologians here. He's not talking to earned doctorates. He's talking to normal, everyday people know your faith. But here's what he says, what you're really going to share. And anyone can do this who knows Jesus. He says, be ready to share the hope that is within you. So simply, sharing with others what Christ has done in your life. Anyone who has experienced Jesus in a real way can share that. I once was blind, but now I see. Jesus has given me hope. He's given me hope eternally. And do you notice there what they say about Peter? He's been with Jesus that's what it takes, is drawing closer to Jesus, being with him. Listen, you can be trained in evangelism, training, sharing your faith is a great tool. But some of you have been through all the training there is. You've been through everything, the bridge, the evangel cube, all that stuff. You've been through it all. And yet, people still aren't sharing their faith. Because like Peter, it's being with Jesus. The more that you experience the hope of Jesus, the more that your heart is going to be filled with faith and it just spills out of you. Sharing what Christ has done within your life. Did Peter always proclaim Jesus boldly? 
fact, he's famous for his doubting, isn't he? And denying Jesus. And this, it seems crazy that he's had that uh, put in the scriptures for all of us to hear and all of us to read. I mean, all of us could have a story like that if, we, if it was written down, right? There's so many times that I had an opportunity and didn't take it. And for you as well, I'm sure you've had an opportunity that you'd love to have back. But Peter, who once denied, now because he had been with Jesus, boldly is proclaiming hope. And you and I have the opportunity, even if we failed in the past, to share the hope that is within us. Verse 16. Yet do this with gentleness, respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when they accuse you, those who discourage your conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Living as mission on exiles. We're to live out hope so that others are attracted. This is the combination, this is the formula for living on mission as an exile. To know the hope, that is to move in close to Jesus, to know who he is so that your heart wells up with hope so that then you'll share it with others when the opportunity comes. As a result, then, you trust Jesus. Can any of you turn the heart of someone else? No. Only God can do that. He calls us to faithfully live out hope, to know the hope, and to share the hope, and then trust Jesus for the results. That's why he says, those who reject you or discourage you, they will be put to shame. He's saying, you don't shame them. In the last judgment, they're going to be held accountable for what you shared with them. God will do that. You just be faithful and let God change their heart to turn to you and let him have the results. You keep living attractively. How are you doing on that? Is your life attractive? I mean, honestly, think about that today. Do you draw people in by the way that you live or do you repel people by always being a complainer and always finding all the things that you can talk about that aren't hope-filled? Know the hope. Do you know Jesus deeply and intimately? There's no better time to do that than right now. And then share the hope. Who's someone in your life right now that you're interacting with that's watching your life? Sometimes it might be a year's time or maybe it might be a couple of weeks. But who can you share Jesus with? And then trust him with the results. It doesn't say that if you do that, the suffering will end. In fact, it might get worse. But God is going to do what he says he will do. And so I asked you this morning, I wonder, do you have this hope within you? Do you have the hope that comes with knowing Jesus? Have you been pursuing it everywhere and looking for it and you don't have it? Won't you believe this message of the gospel that the hope that you're looking for is in every human being? It's ingrained within us. We're desiring something more, something better. And it's not found by pursuing the things that the world can offer, but pursuing the creator of all things, Jesus. And in order for us to have a relationship with Jesus, he had to enter into our time and space, live a perfect life, the life that you and I could never live, die in our place, the death that we deserve, taking our, the punishment for our sins upon himself, and then he rising again from the dead that everything's been paid for. So that if you believe 
put all your trust that Jesus died for you and that he rose again and that you're a sinner and he could take your sins away, you will come into a living hope. A hope that cannot be taken away from you. So as we go to this Lord's table now, this is not a time for any of us to gain salvation, but it's a time for us to remember what we already possess. And so as we gather here this morning, we remember the bread and the juice. We remember it and we say that this bread reminds me, helps me remember that Jesus bore my sins in his body on the tree. And that this wine, this juice represents Christ's blood that was shed for me in my place so that I could have forgiveness of sins. So there's nothing about this. Maybe you come from a background that believes this becomes the literal body and blood of Christ. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that Christ died once for sins and that's all that was needed. And so Jesus said, do this as a church in remembrance of me. To remember what you already possess in Christ. So if you know Jesus, this is for you. If you don't know Jesus, we ask you not to participate in this today. And we're not going to embarrass you or make a scene about it. We're just so glad that you're here. Thanks for being with us. Or better yet, why don't you trust him right now? Let me just, before we partake, and we're going to ask you this morning to come to the middle aisles. Grab, one of, grab the elements. They're both together. The, the, both of them are in the same cup. And then go out the sides back to your seat, okay? Let me just read this from Romans chapter 8 and then I'll pray. What then should we say about these things? Listen, this is what you already possess if you know Christ. This isn't something you gain. This is already yours. What should we say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray.